I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. The Côte de Cézanne is a unique Champagne subregion. It sits south of the Marne and southwest of the Côte de Blanc. If you put your finger on a map and traced your way from the northeast corner of the Côte de Blanc way down to the southwest corner of Cézanne, you'd follow a line of chalky soil in the Côte de Blanc. It's perfect for brilliant and bright Chardonnay. Then you'd pass over the marshes of Saint-Gon, an area that sits between the Côte de Blanc and Cézanne. And finally, your trace on the map would pass over the varied but predominantly clay soils of Cézanne, which is also a haven for Chardonnay, but the richer and darker side of what Chardonnay can be. The land separating the Côte de Blanc from Cézanne is as much a physical separation as it is a psychological separation in terms of Champagne styles, though today the physical land is much easier to traverse than it once was. The marshes of Saint-Gond were slowly drained over the 1900s. And though today the wetland is much drier due to these draining initiatives, during the First World War, the wetlands here were a major obstacle in battles. Just a few roads could be used in the area, and a strategic fight fought in 1914 helped to sway the tide from the Nazis to the Allies. Perhaps the marshes separated Cezanne from the main hub of the Champagne region even more in previous centuries. If Cezanne seems a bit mysterious, this is in part because its history is currently very much in the making. In wine books as recent as 1970, the Cezanne might receive a passing sentence of acknowledgement. And even in most modern-day sources, the region is summed up in a few concise and usually vague or general sentences. Cézanne is often overlooked because of its lack of Grand Cru sites, and it is often taxonomized as an extension of the Côte de Blanc because they are both Chardonnay predominant. Cézanne does share a Chardonnay predominance with the Côte de Blanc, but while the Côte de Blanc produces almost exclusively Chardonnay, Cézanne comes in around 60 to 65 percent and has many Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier plantings as well. Though the soil in Cezanne does have some limestone like the Côte de Blanc, here you'll find more clay, and thus richer, denser wines in general. In part because of the isolated location, the unique and varied soils, and the diversity of grape varieties, despite a majority of Chardonnay, in Cezanne you find some exciting wines that are incredibly unique, especially when you juxtapose them against the overall Champagne landscape. Keep listening to hear more from one producer who's helping to write the story of Cezanne Wines. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country 
and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Olivier Colleen of Ulysse Colleen on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So you run a small domain in Champagne today, but were you born there originally? I was born in Epernay in uh, the 70s, studying in Reims, past the main exams, and after uh, studying in law. So you were a law student for a while, and then what got you in that direction? Why did you pursue law? Because I, I was in my mind to keep back the domain which is rented to a big brands. Oh, I see. So your parents own vines. Yes, my family is growing in Champagne since three centuries. So they had property and they were renting the vines to another larger company. And you thought that by learning about legal contracts and law, you could retain those vines back for yourself. Absolutely. And I have a, a window which is possible to cut this relationship. So uh, it was necessary uh, studying in law to find uh, the problems that permitted to us to keep back the vines and the cellars. So you knew that you wanted to be a wine grower. You wanted to have parcels of vines and grow wine and make wine yourself. But you had to go to law school to get there. Yes, because our family house is inside the domain. So it was necessary to make a choice. Kept back all the domain or left all the domain. And I'd prefer to keep back all the domain with the help of my family, of course. So you talked about it with your family and they, they thought that was a good idea? Uh, at the beginning, it, it could be a little bit difficult because when you are in a strong relationship with big brands, it's not so easy. And uh, the law, it could be difficult because the big brands is a strong brands. So it's not so easy to have a negotiation, but the finality is well. So it's perfect for us. Because in my entire career, I've never encountered someone that had to go to law school to make wine. I mean, it's rather amazing, actually. I thank you very much. The kind of commitment that that entails is a lot. Uh, I like wine. Since a long time ago, I, I have the, the opportunity to keep back the domain. If I'm not interested in, probably I don't make this choice. So when did wine first strike you as something that you wanted to be very seriously involved in? I test a lot after 18 years old. Uh, with a friend uh, because very, we are very interested uh, in the wine and probably Burgundy is one of my best choice. I have lots of feelings and good sensation in tasting these wines in red and white. So I think it, it's very interesting when you have the opportunity to be in Champagne. I think it's a mistake to avoid this or to let the luck pass uh, without you. And so then what happened next? You get out of law school and what occurred? I had the opportunity to do an internship at Domencelos in Avis, which is permitted to me to learn uh, different things at this period because it was an original uh, way in Champagne. Was he a family friend and some solos? No, no, no. Never. Um, no, no, never. I just uh, wrote one letter at one person, and this person is Anselm Solos. And why did you make that choice? Why that particular producer? I made that choice because I have tasted the wine before. and Good reason. That's a good it's reason. It's a good reason, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> 
And I, I feel that it's completely different from the others. So I want to know much more about the persons and uh, this way, which is very particular. So what did you write in that letter? He said that I don't know anything about the wine and the vine. Because when you are, in, when you are studying in law, you could uh, learn by uh, studying in uh, wine growing, but it's just theory. And when you are in a domain, you have practice. And it's very important to see what is the practice in a domain and the philosophy of the person. But your parents weren't making wine. I never saw my father producing champagne because he stopped to produce champagne in 1987. Did he ever tell you why he stopped? In my opinion, I think it's not really what he wants to do. And when you don't want to do something, you could not do with mind, spirit, passion and all these things that permit to you to produce great wines. Uh, it's necessary, uh, my history, not permit to me to uh, discover the vines. Of course, I saw tractors, I saw uh, lots of things, but I never feel, get in contact, I never got in contact with this universe. Uh, so it was for me the opportunity to get in contact with workers of the domaine solos because I spent three months in my internship with the workers in the vines. As a kid, it may have seemed exotic to you because you didn't get a chance to do it. It may have seemed like a cool thing to do. It was something that you didn't have the opportunity to do, make wine. It's impossible to do by law to keep back a domain, of course. But I I'm, I'm was very not very happy to have another job because I think uh, I am done for this. This is what you wanted to do. Yes, of course. When you produce uh, wine or champagne, I think you have the, the opportunity to give pleasure at the others. And it was a fantastic job. Kind of like a way of communicating, like being funny or telling jokes or making other people happy. Yes, because you, you give pleasure, you give sensation. And I think uh, you have much more awful job. Kind of like being a magician, in a way. You get to... <laughs> yes, but yes, magician is probably more technical, <laughs> but uh, if you want. <laughs> so what was it like working with Solos? I mean, what was he like as a person? Uh, I don't work with him. I work with the workers during all the days. And at the end of the days, when I was invited by Anselm uh, to go with customers to taste and to speak with them. How did you find that experience? It was a fantastic uh, experience. I didn't know anything about the wine, and he permitted to me to open my mind and to, you know, sometimes in your mind you are a little bit blocked because you are you you are afraid of, for example, for indigenous yeasts. You said, no, it's impossible, it's so difficult. The wine will be completely uh, bad. And no, make confident in, in your grapes, in your work, in yourself. And after, let the nature making itself. At the beginning, I'm not sure of this. Uh, but with the time, I'm very happy because now uh, I don't want to make any intervention in the wine. So what he gave you was a sense of calm and what he took away was fear. Of course, of course. At the beginning, it's not so easy, but it was like a discovery, you know, at each second, because I haven't got any experiences. And when I began with my first juice pressed <laughs> twice, twice uh, by day, I listen the wine, I test the wine each time, because I am afraid that they are, uh, they are not very well. They could... Uh, don't know, uh, take lots of VA or I don't know about this. So, and more and more, more you work, in my opinion, more you work in your field, in your vines, it's better for you at the harvest. When you have fantastic grapes, 
after it's very easy to produce wine or champagne. But the most difficult is to have fantastic grapes. So did you start to realize why the Salos wines tasted as they did? Because when you first encountered them, they'd seemed so different. So did you start to see some of the practical reasons why they were different tasting? I feel they are, uh, they are different because they have frequency, in my opinion. And this is not for magicians. You have lots of wine all over the world. And some wines gives you emotion or sensation. And others, no. And I think it's lots of things. The terroir, of course, the way of thinking, the philosophy, lots of work. And after you have something that I can't explain. What happened next in your own career? I said goodbye. And he said me good luck because I, uh, I began the negotiation with big trends six months later. And fortunately, I found the issue of these great problems. And I'm very happy. So fortunately, you found what you were looking for to get back the vines. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Not alone, of course, with the help of friends. Friends, uh, very good friends, which is very master in law. And with my family, because when you kept back a domain like this, it's necessary to have the agreement of your family. My grandfather, my parents, and all the person in the the negotiation. So you had to convince them too? Yes. <laughs> you begin with this to convince uh, your family. And after, but it's not, uh, yes, it was original. But I think they, they respect this. And if they don't say clearly that, they probably wanted that I kept back the domain 18 years later after my father has rented the domain. They felt it was the right way to go. Yes, I think they are very happy, but for for me it was completely impossible. So when I uh, decide this, I knew that it was it will be very difficult. But uh, when I go in the trade, I think it was impossible, and, and I give all my energy all what I, what I could, and the issue was very good, but it could be not like this. So what was the year that you got the vines back? On uh, 2003. I not prefer to keep the first vintage because um, it was a difficult vintage in Champagne with the hail of the 11th of April. So I prefer to sold the grapes and profits uh, of this year to begin the work for me, what is necessary to to increase the potential of my terroir. And what were those changes? What did you see was necessary to do? To plowing, to plowing, it's for me essential. This is probably uh, the key, in my opinion only, huh? but the key of producing good wine and great wines, because you increase life. You give oxygen, you open the soils, and you increase the microbiological activity, which is permit to the roots to be alive. So to stop with chemicals. Yes, it's important. To be honest, I am in mixed viticulture. I make a difference between the treatment of the leaves and the value of the soil and the subsoils by the roots. For the leaves, I am in mixed. I use classical products. Against mildew, I use the classical products, chemical products. And against oidium, sulfur for me is very good. And I practice uh, some biodynamical experiences, but just in a, in a way of understanding and with feeling only, without calendars and other things like this. I am lots of in feelings. I like to work like this. I haven't got any recipe. I just want to, to make the things like I feel. And how has that feeling evolved over time? I mean, did you know from the start that what you wanted to do or 
in a few years each time did changes happen that you felt were necessary? I think to increase the potential of your terroir, uh, you need to do uh, some uh, things very clearly, like plowing. For me, I saw uh, in the evolution uh, since I began, my first champagne is 04. And each year, I have the added work. And I saw the difference of treatment of the soils and the subsoils and the leaves. And I felt that it will be better year by year. And I'm very proud of this because we are not in a easy terroir. Uh, we are not premier cru or grand cru. And the most important for me is to begin at a step and with your work to go in a, another step. And it, the life is like this, I think. And your first vintage was 2004. Yes, 2004. What was that like for you? The opposite of Austria Vintage. Austria Vintage is uh, probably um, the lower yields in Champagne. And O4 is the uh, biggest yields in Champagne in average since a long time. But it was very interesting because we haven't got any dilution in O4 Vintage. And you, when you study it in school, uh, your professor said, if the yield is very high, uh, you could have gap in your wine and you haven't got density, you haven't got concentration. And in O4, it's quite concentrated. And the yields are very important. So sometimes you have theory and sometimes you have practice. What happens when the grapes come in to the winery? What were you deciding to do with the grapes in the winery? Alors, I continue to sell grapes to big brands because I began with nothing, uh, without customers, without materials, without stock, and at the beginning without vineyards. So I continue to sell grapes and I try to keep more and more grapes to produce my own champagne. And I began in 04 Vintage to produce 5,000 and 400 bottles. That's really From Les Pierrières. Not that many. Oh, it's a beginning. And the second year, 05, I produced 11,000 of bottles of Pierrières. In 06, 15,000 of bottles with Les Maillons, which is the beginning uh, of my Pinot Noir uh, cuvée. And like this, we try to progress uh, quietly but surely. You age the base wine in wood. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I like, uh, it's a choice. I like the frequency and the vibration that you can feel in oak. Did you find a difference aging Chardonnay in barrel versus aging Pinot Noir in barrel? Yes, of course. In my opinion, the Pinot Noir, uh, the evolution of the Pinot Noir could be more quicker than Chardonnay. And... Um, uh, Chardonnay is a quite strong variety and Pinot Noir is much more fragile than Chardonnay, in my opinion. Does that imply that the Chardonnay that you have comes from a site that's high in either chalk or like limestone or chalk? Yes, yes, yes. Les Pierre, for example, we had uh, 90% of the roots are in the chalk. Uh, so you have a particular personality of this uh, single vineyard scubé. So it's a very chalky site. Yes, of course. And Soft chalk. And do you think that that gives a more angular, more stern style of Chardonnay? Ah, yes, 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 exactly. You can produce a round wine when you have 90% of the roots in the chalk, in the subsoil's uh, uh, geological uh, structure. You cannot produce a round wine. Is that I what don't know, said? it's impossible, it's impossible. At the beginning, you could try but I think the wine is stronger than the uh, the grower. So, in my opinion, I understood each parcelers, and I grew the wine in the way of what they want to become. With education, you give the same value with all your children, and after uh, one uh, wants to be an architect, another wants to be journalist. And if you want to inverse, you know, the job of each, they are not very happy. So 
it's necessary to understand this and to respect what they want to do. I mean, in a lot of ways, that seems to mirror your life story, right? I mean, that's kind of your personal story, too. Of like, course. you wanted to do this Vine thing. It was difficult, but you knew you weren't going to be happy unless you did. So you, you made the necessary moves to do it. Yes, of course. I spent lots of energy, but today it's fantastic. When the person tastes our champagne and they said to me, wow, we, we like a lot. It's fantastic. It's marvelous because uh, we spend lots of time. In the vines, lots of time with our wine, much more than our family. So I think it's not always easy, but it's a choice. It's a job uh, very, or you are not very, lots of free time. So I feel like with that kind of austere Chardonnay, that kind of stern Chardonnay as raw material, that using wood would help you to give it more flesh, to give it more broadness. To round it some. Ah, oh, I'm not sure because uh, I, I haven't got the opinion. Um, for me, I choose oak barrels because uh, you have good exchange. With air. Living exchange. Wood, oak, is a living material. A living material. Biotic material. So it's like us when after the birth, we are in contact with oxygen and with the wine is the same thing. So not putting it next to fiberglass or steel or something that doesn't have a nature to it. I don't say this, but I don't like closed uh, materials. And it's a little bit um, cold at the touch and uh, protect from probably too much for me. Uh, the evolution uh, of the wine and barrels permit a balance growth in respect of the wine because too much... New oak is not very good for champagne in general and for our champagne in particular, in my opinion. After the time aged in wood, what happens next? How do you make this wine? Alors, it's more or less 11 months uh, in growth. I choose this because uh, uh, 11, it's, uh, I think it's a good period. And after the months after the bottling, you have just your barrels empty. So you haven't got any problem with good barrels. And uh, you'll get reason at the beginning. Uh, we have lots of young wines because I haven't got sufficiently reserved wine of each parceller or single vineyards to keep reserved wine. Now we progress in this way and uh, we have all our reserved wine in oak barrels and casks. And that must allow you to modulate your style some. I mean, originally you were probably just able to offer what the vintage was, but now you're able to do a little bit of a blend. Yes, the blend of each parcellers, eh? because each reserve wine is a gross maximum two years in barrels. And after, I like big casks to, to respect the original fruit. And I like the freshness in champagne. I like... Young, young champagne with lots of percussion. So actually, it's not just all small barrels in the cellar. You also use some large wood. During eight years, I just used oak barrels. And when I could, I bought casks to keep reserve wine, yes. And what about malolactic conversion? Ah, malolactic, for me, just a parameter because... To be honest, uh, the first juice is in Champagne. It's very difficult for them to do the malolactic because the, the pH is very, very low. For the second juice, it's much more easier. But I don't want to make an intervention about this. And I let the winemaking himself. I gave the value at the beginning in sulfates. I gave the rules. Like education for children, in my opinion, is the same thing. You give the rules, your rules, and after you let your children, with control, of course, but you let your children become what they want to become with good value as possible. And I've heard it said that you have a particular kind of press. Great ah, place. it's not a particular... It's uh, the traditional press in Champagne. Coca, vertical press... And uh, 
I like this uh, family press because uh, we are the first grower in our village to have a press. And uh, now our press, is, it's the beginning of this vertical press is probably in the 50s. So now it gives you a good experience. But I want to make an experience with pneumatic press on our 05 vintage, but I'd prefer vertical press. So you, you made an experiment with yes, of course. a pneumatic and you just didn't really like it as much. I think uh, that the evolution is a little bit more quicker with pneumatic press than vertical press. But just my opinion. What about winemaking style? Do you think that the vertical press affects other winemaking decisions or vine growing decisions that you have? Uh, I, I want to make a difference between winemaking and wine growing. I am a, a wine grower. A winemaker is uh, probably an enologist and he wants to obtain something. He has something at the beginning and he wants to obtain something at the end. I want to respect the juice, the grape, the juice and the wine. So I let the wine making himself with the rules that I spoke at the beginning. And I control, of course, uh, with the rules it's necessary to control sometimes. But if the wine had not got any defaults, it's not necessary to make any intervention. So you are confident with the great quality of your grapes. And after, it's, it's easier, in my opinion, to produce great wine. I certainly agree with that. But do you think there's a contribution of the press? Ah, the contribution in the wine. In my opinion, with traditional press, you extract much more tannins. And as antioxidative primary elements, your juice is much more protected at the beginning against oxidation and oxygen. So... In my opinion, uh, I prefer this for this particularity. And I think we extract more mineral salts with traditional coca press. So you're getting more solids and you're getting more exposure to oxygen. It's different, uh, different cycle of press. It's not hard or strong, but in my little experience, I saw with pneumatic press that the wine of the year, the evolution is a little bit more quicker than traditional, yes. Moving towards more maturity. Yes, but sometimes it could be, it could be interesting when you, when you want to sell your grapes or your wine quicker. Your wine becomes more rounded or more balanced quicker, probably. At the beginning, our juice, our wine in barrels, are not very easy to taste. But I'd prefer this. Do you find that your Chardonnay is particularly hard to taste out of barrel compared to the other grapes? Le Pierre, for example, has his own personality. And since the beginning, uh, in blind test, I arrived to find in blind test all the different cuvées. Because it's like a DNA a signature of each parcelers. And they have their own personality since the beginning. And this is, for me, the most important. And that's why you started labeling by parcel on the label. Of course. Alors, I wait. My first champagne, 04, 05, 06, 07, I have not mentioned on the labels the name of the parcelers because I consider that to put the name of a single vineyard's cuvée, it's necessary to work a little bit. And when I kept back the vines, I had lots of job to increase the potentials of each single vineyard. It's necessary to learn about it, to understand, and uh, to plow. This is really, in my opinion, the most important. Plowing, plowing, plowing. Getting oxygen into the soil? Of course, like like a natural fermentation, all is fermentation. When you, 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 you use your tractor to plow, you increase a fermentation. 
So did you find that when you started doing more plowing in the vineyards that it was easier to do natural ferments later? Easier? I don't know because I haven't got any experience before. Right. For me, it's uh, it's quite natural, you know. I don't, uh, I don't see, I don't understand why filtering or because probably they they have got a reason for the other growers. I don't know, but uh, if it's necessary. I did. If it's not necessary, I didn't. And did you find that using native yeast gave a different kind of presence to the mouthfeel as well, or to the aromatics? I'm not sure in the taste, because yeast is a, is a natural fungus in aromas, probably, because you have sequency uh, in the alcoholic fermentation. You have the first natural yeast, the second, it depends of the alcoholic degree, but uh, the, the yeast of the beginning of the fermentation, the yeast of the middle of fermentation, and the most resistant, the ultimate yeast, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae baianus. Where is the facility? Because I imagine that if your parents weren't making wine, that there was no, f- like, where did you end up making wine? Did you buy equipment, or was it there already? It's not necessary to have equipment. It's necessary just to have a pump. If you have different floor, pump is... <laughs> it could be uh, useful, yes. <laughs> but uh, equipment, uh, not a lot in reality. Not a lot, because um, when you have barrels, uh, no, just pump, and it's quite sufficient. But there was a building already for that. Yes, 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 yes. It yes, was yes, the yes. historical winery, and uh, it family? was the, the winery of my father. But he had lots of stainless tank. So you uh, had to make some changes there. Of course, uh, we sold uh, all the stainless tank, and uh, at the same place we just put uh, barrels. Had you tried your father's wines? Never. Never. <laughs> Never. Did you ever wonder what they may have tasted like? Why not? If I have a bottle, I'm very happy to taste, but it's not uh, searching. Uh, it's not a big concern for you. It's another period. Yeah. So it's a different a, life. Uh, yes, completely. And uh, it, could be, it could be good. I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I changed completely the, the philosophy and all. And I don't want to be influenced by idea of my father because and he respect he respect my uh, special way he never tells you like oh you know when i was younger i used to do it like this uh, he said me be careful because it could be dangerous and i have the answer i said but i am confident with the work that we done in the vines in the fields with my workers 95% of the hours paid for my workers is in the vines because this is the key this is the secret in my opinion so better fruit allows for better winemaking lots of lots of hours and we have never finished to work in the vines never this year uh, we finished at the 20th of august and after it was it was the holidays but we to have lots of sunny in the skin of the grapes we take the leaves around the grapes. You remove the leaves to give them And lots of persons said to me, but it's no sense. What do you, <laughs> what do you done this? I said, the sun, it's very in- interesting for good maturity grapes, but it's a terrific work. Very slow. And I tried to, to give all what I can until the harvest, five days before the harvest. It's too late. Uh, it's like when you pass your exams. It's necessary to work all the year. You must have made a lot of changes in the vineyard, but did you make changes to like trellising or how they were, how high they were? Or yes, yes, I increased the volume of the leaves. It's very important because the leaves are the mirrors for sun, and uh, to permit to the sap to explain. The sap is very important. The soils, uh, working to plowing the soils, 
to give a living environment to the roots and after to permit to this sap to travel to the leaves and after to be concentrated to the grapes. So you see it as a whole system. Each vine is a system. It's natural. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, you respect the cycles of the sap. Uh, now, the sap, after, when the, the leaves are climbed, you let the sap climb on the roots because it's a liquid. And after, at the, the first day of the summer, you are at the top of the energy. And uh, I think it's very important to, to follow, to understand this cycle, to work with clever, with sun and moon. And I think uh, you, uh, you are right for 99% of the, of the job. Do you find that your area is a riper area of champagne or the other way? Do you find that ripeness is easy in your area or is it harder? It depends of the parcellars, of the single vineyards. Because, for example, for Congi, for Les Rois, for example, the orientation of our village is south. For Les Pierrières, is east. Uh, so, obviously, you, can, you couldn't have the same uh, ripeness. It's impossible, but it's natural. So, uh, I want to accompany each parameters from each parceller. And for example, for Les Maillons, which is in the middle of the coast of Cézanne, it's much more, not sunny, but the temperature is a little bit more higher than in the region of Coteau du Morin. So the ripeness is much more higher on average. For example, this harvest, the harvest for this year is opened the 3rd of September for Les Maillons and at the 14th of September in Congy. And what is very interesting for me, for Les Maillons, for example, the ripeness is much, it's much more higher, but the orientation east permit to obtain a ripe grey with elegant style because the freshness of the orientation east permit uh, this balance and this elegance and finest uh, champagne by this orientation. That's essentially what you were describing earlier when you said that the Perrier vineyard comes in more austere. Of course. Yeah. And uh, it's just necessary to understand what you do. And how would you describe the other differences between the parcels? Ah, you have uh, differences of uh, variety, of course. You have the difference of uh, type of clays and limestone. You have difference of depth between the, the soils and the, and the choke. And we have a particularity. We have a piece of flint in our region of Coteau du Morin. And the beginning is uh, Montémé, which is at the south of Bergère-les-Vertus. Uh, we have flint and soft choke. And all in our area, when we found choke, we have piece of flint Interesting. inside. I think that's unusual. Yes, it's quite unusual, and it's the really particularity of our area. Have you ever thought about doing Chardonnay in one of the red parcels, or doing red grape in one of the Chardonnay parcels, or is that really dictated by the soil and other factors? I don't plot. It's my grandfather, so but it's very interesting. For example, Coteau du Cézanne is very good for Chardonnay and for Pinot Noir. Just uh, in Coteau du Cézanne, 95% of the plots are Chardonnay. But we had Pinot Noir. And the two different varieties are very well situated in this, in this Côte du Cézanne. Because we have choke in Coteau du Cézanne, a soft choke. So Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are very good and very, they're balanced with these subsoils and the clays and limestone in Cézanne is much more colored, much more brown, much more rich in iron. And for us, for les maillons blanc de noir and for les maillons rosé, 
I think uh, it's a good spot to produce rosette saignée, for example. Which is what you do. You make a Yes, saignée. yes, 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 yes. Uh, and probably we produce steel wine, red. Red steel wine in Les Maillons to propose Blanc de Noir, Rosé, and uh, Coteau Champenois from the same single vineyards. That iron in the soil, how do you think that that translates? Clearly. Uh, if you have difference uh, between uh, the type of clays, uh, you have an uh, impact in the final wine. When you are in Côte des Blancs, you have a soft clays and the color is very is gray is very clear in uh, montagne de reims the the color of the clays and limestone are much more not dark but much more colored so it's the reason why in my opinion you have you could make a correspondence between the color of the clays and the variety could be better for for the wine probably the whiter it is the more that you want to do a white grape yes i'm not i, I haven't got sufficiently knowledge i just uh, knew about my uh, my single vineyards my parcelers but uh, i imagine uh, we can find this in burgundy very easier codenui you have rich and red colored in the in the source, so for Pinot Noir, it could be perfect. And how have you seen the vintages progress? I mean, what have been vintages that really stood out to you as something that were learning vintages for you, things that you hadn't realized before? For me, the vintage is not very important. The, the vintage is just uh, the results of quality and defaults of a year. And it's not, obviously, the signature of the terroir. In my opinion, when you test a 06 vintage of Pierrière and a 10 vintage of Pierrière, you seems the same tasting sensation. And it's probably not the same vintage. Uh, you have really the DNA of each parcelers, and I try to progress in the definition of each of them. When do you drink your own wines? I like to drink to drink them at the beginning. You do during the fermentation. It's very interesting all the time. Yeah, all the time because it's uh, it's very interesting to to follow them, and I find each time this is what I I'm probably very proud of this. I find all the time the signature of the terroir with in non-intervention. Uh, interventionist uh, way of philosophy. And uh, wine is a living product, so sometimes it could be a little bit closed and sometimes a little bit more open. But you feel... If you like Pierrière, uh, you can buy the Pierrière. You, you feel each time what you like in the Pierrière. But is there a time after it's been bottled that you start to drink it, or do you start to drink it uh, immediately in terms of your own consumption? Do you wait a year or two, or do you like to drink it right away, or both? I haven't got lots of old vintages, to be honest right, with you. Course, and yeah. uh, I'm very happy to make uh, a testing in Osaka with my Japan importer. And it was fantastic because they kept all the vintages since I began, since 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, in all the different cuvées. And it was very, very interesting because in perfect condition of temperature, in perfect condition of conservation, the taste is more or less the same. And the nose had a little evolution, of course, because it's a living product, but I feel that it was really Pierrière, and it was Maillon, and it was Roise. So sometimes with the Perrière, I feel it's very vivacious in youth. Very? Vivacious, a lot of bubbles. Yes. Very powerful bubbles, and then at the same time quite austere, quite linear. And so sometimes I decant that wine you know, when I drink it young. 
because I haven't had a lot of experiences older. So sometimes I feel with your wines, it's been helpful to decant them. For my ah, drink, yes, for it's my a drink. very good idea. Oh, is that true? Okay. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That's my sense, and I guess that's what I'm asking because you. Because to I like uh, young champagne because, in my opinion, uh, before to become old, you are young, and after uh, it depends of the taste. But if the person like young champagne, they can open our champagne one year after the release, or if they like much mature champagne, they can keep 10 years without problems. I want to produce champagne for a long time keeping. And to give um, an acceleration, testing when when the, the champagne is young, you can decant because you when you decant, you open up a lot our champagne and you decrease the quantity of bubbles which is acid carbonic, carbonic gas. So I try to search in all I done the balance. The balance for me is the most important. The balance in all, in the vine, in the press, in the wine, in the conservation, in the dosage, to have all for the customers. Our champagnes need to taste well, everywhere, and every time, as possible. And uh, today, uh, I haven't got any problems since I began my production. It's very clear and very loyal. Olivier Colline is looking for revelation by being loyal to terroir. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you to you. It was a pleasure. Olivier Colline of Ulysses Colline in Champagne. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.